Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Another show, another week. Thank you so much for downloading and clicking play. My guest is James Brendlinger, returning to the show for a fourth time. I always enjoy having him here because he is a big fan of the facts of life and a fan of this show and uh, a dear friend. He has a long history in academia as a high school drama teacher. He runs his own independent theater, costume shop, and performing arts school in Oviedo, Florida. That's just east of Orlando. It's called Penguin Point Productions, and he also DJs the Jimmy Popular Show locally on Rollins College Radio. So he's got a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I'm glad I was able to snag him again to do another episode of this show. This week, James and I watched Season 5, Episode 19, Star at Langley, and the original air date was February 15th of 1984. Think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with James Brendlinger. Welcome back, please, ladies and gentlemen. Not a three-peat guest. This is a four-peat guest. This is appearance number four for MVP guest of Let's Face the Facts, Mr. James Brendlinger. Thank you for having me again, David. This is a perfect episode for me to work on. Uh, yes, I actually, in a rare moment of uh, remembering things and of being conscious and uh, concerned about other people as opposed to myself, I did remember that you had said early on that you were a big Jamie Gertz fan. Yeah, she and I are in a relationship. Uh, we have been since 1982. Uh-huh. She's on, but uh, she had a TV show called Square Pegs, and um, it was only on for a season. And uh, it was when I was, what, 11, that was my favorite show. It, it supplanted Facts of Life as my favorite show. And Jamie Gertz played uh, Muffy, Muffy Tepperman on it, which is a, practically the same character as Boots St. Clair, the character she plays on Facts of Life. And uh, I think that the relationship is that they were both produced by Embassy Television. And when Square Pegs ended, I think they just knew they had a good thing there and tried to insert her, I mean, did insert her for four episodes of Facts of Life. I would have liked to have seen her stay with the series a little longer. Yes, I think she's a lot of fun. And as the show is sort of finding its way in season five and seeing what else they need to add, what else could they kind of do to enhance what they already had while they were trying to figure out how to make it be a show about girls in school when they're not all in school together anymore. Uh, She is, her performance, I've said this in some of her other appearances, she is in her own show doing her (laughs) own thing and committing to it 100% and crushing it. Uh, have you seen it, Square Pegs? I have not. And I know that was Sarah Jessica Parker's first series also. She's terrific in it also. It's not a perfect show. It was written by um, Saturday Night Live alumni. And um, I think it kind of derailed because of uh, offstage things, drug addiction and yeah. uh, ins. 
Uh, but it was a show about teenagers and the teenagers on it were all fantastic. And again, she's basically playing the same character. And it's that same feeling of you've got this actress who seems to be in her own show off in the corner, but that show is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it helped Facts of Life because you can't, the characters are growing and they do a good job of letting their characters grow to some extent. And um, the Blair and Joe fights can no longer be, they have to have some depth as they've resolved a lot of their early tensions. So it gives Blair someone new to fight against that we're allowed to laugh at that person instead of, you know, saying, didn't you two work this out in episode number 73 when you, (laughs) I think solves that problem a little bit. Let's Blair still be Blair, but aiming it at someone else. But you bring up an interesting point because we've joked about where the Blair and Joe relationship has gone and it ends up in a different place again here. We will get to later. Uh, So let's just put a pin in that Blair and Joe thing because uh, I do want to discuss it. Uh, Before I get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, James, I want to recap and remind my tens of listeners that you were in season one uh, for the season closer, episode 13 called Dope. The Helen Hunt Marijuana episode. And uh, you let me do that one specifically because that was the first episode I ever saw when I was 19, so I was eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, that meant a lot to me. And um, it's a terrible season. It's not a good episode, <laughs> but it brings me joy. And the oh. next episode you did with us was uh, in season two, Bought and Sold. That was the Countess Calve episode with Zsa Zsa. <laughs> Oh, and I should point out to you, I was just on Ken Reed's podcast, The TV Guidance Counselor. Uh, It's going to be dropping fairly soon. Uh, And on that, the week uh, that he sent me a random TV guide, and the one that he sent me was from 1981, right here. (laughs) And in that, that is, this is the week. That was the week that the the Countess Calvé episode. And this is where uh, two things of note. One is she was still listed Zsa, Zsa Gabor was still listed as Duchess Dupre. <laughs> they had changed the name somewhere in rehearsals, but the, what the network put uh-huh. out didn't get changed. Huh. And then secondly was nothing about Todd Bridges making a guest appearance, which you and I had in our analysis deemed it to be completely unnecessary and extraneous. Sure. Yeah. So very uh, interesting little uh, sidebar that I was reminded of that episode recently and uh, we'll be discussing it on uh, Ken Reed's podcast. And then you also did season four, last season, The Academy, which was the yeah. big fight. I'm sorry, The Academy 2. Yeah. I have a lot of feelings about The Academy. I just, every time you mention it, I get riled up again. I'm ready to talk. But... Uh-huh. <laughs> so this episode is season five, episode 19, Star at Langley. And the original air date was February 15th of 1984. It was written by Andy Borowitz, uh, future creator of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And this is his final of five episodes that he does for The Facts of Life before he does move on to writing and producing other stuff, uh, including Fresh Prince, which is, I think, still his biggest uh, project in his career and it was directed by Asad Kelada and I've decided Asad Kelada is my favorite director because he does so many of these shows I don't have to do any sort of deep dive and research the career <laughs> of the director of the show when they start mixing it up and new and different directors come in it's going to suck because it's just going to be uh, more work for me in preparing for these podcasts so uh, Asad I love you thank you for being a friend 
that's a different show, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so following the format of the show, James, as an old professional, you know, this is the time when I ask my guest to give a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode that we have watched, uh, similar to a listing you might find in a TV guide. Well, I'm going to let Tootie do it for me because she shouted the TV guide description as the first sentence in the episode. Look, Natalie, it's official. Movie star enrolls at Langley College. Yep, that's perfect. <laughs> they gave it to us right there. That's, that was beautiful. Can I talk about Kim Fields for a moment? Please do. So Kim Fields, I, I don't think anyone could argue that she had the best career post facts of life mm -hmm. obviously there were some adults involved who had enormous careers before facts of life but kim fields i think had the best one at mm -hmm. the show and i guess george clooney but we're talking about the girls here yeah og um, cast yeah and i really respect her as an actress she's terrible in this episode um <laughs> it's been a while since i watched any season five i was keeping up with you episode by episode until the pandemic started um I'm not driving much right now, so I'm not listening to podcasts as much. Yeah, me too. I don't know if she took acting lessons that caused her to regress or she just didn't care about this episode because she has like four lines in it. She shouts all of them. It's just look past the camera and shout your line. And she wasn't like that before, and I don't think she's like that after. We have totally brought that up in recent episodes. Uh, not most recently, we have the, the two episodes that kind of sort of deal with the death of Natalie's father last week and the week before. And with that, it, it is like, holy crap, girl. And we've said the exact same thing as you, where it's like, there's no question that she is a talented actress. We're just, for some reason, finding her in this weird groove where uh, I think the term Matthew Arter has said is she's playing for the back row of the third balcony in the stadium next door. And, you know, maybe she was doing some stage work over the summer or something. And they just kept telling her to be louder. I, 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 that's what it feels like. It feels like you've given a stage direction to a teenager and they have taken it so to heart that there is no other direction left, but I couldn't hear you be louder. And that's yeah. what she's doing. It was hard to, it's a good yeah. episode. It there. is. And thankfully we don't have a lot of her in this episode. Right. That's the good thing. Um, so uh, let's, let's uh, dive on in here, shall we? Every episode, you know, when it starts, we have some type of busy work or space work or prop work. And I'm always fascinated to, to make note of it and see what's going on. Like uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Blair with a rubber stamp. She was stamping things, which I'm like, what would that have been? I want to know. But uh, at the beginning of the episode, we have very good appropriate things. We have Joe hauling a crate. We have uh, Natalie marking something on a clipboard. And uh, sitting at the table in the front, Tootie is reading the newspaper, and Mrs. Garrett has her big green ledger book, which we have seen before and we will see again. Apparently, they are not paying that $140 a month to rent that computer that accidentally caused them to erase Pete, uh, Pete Stelly's Deli's uh, uh, memory files and recipes. <laughs> So we're back to analog and just keeping a register, doing the books by hand. So um, typically the structure and the tropes of the sitcom is that we have a little bit of a, uh, here's a line here, here's a line here, ha ha ha, isn't that funny? Then someone presents the plot of the show. 
In this case, first line is 2D. Hey, look at this. There's a movie star enrolling at Langley College. And uh, we get all the exposition. Oh my God, this movie star. Her name is Heather Hunt. And uh, she is uh, known for wearing torn clothes, particularly in a movie of hers called Boogie Magic. <laughs> Flash she... dance. Exactly. It's got that flash dance kind of a, a thing there. And this is where sitcoms are like, <laughs> we can send up and spoof the big Hollywood movies. She's a firefighter by day who was a bassoon player by night. <laughs> so Joe says to Mrs. Garrett, I'm not going to be home for dinner because I have this welcome party that uh, she needs to go to representing the Board of Regents to welcome Heather Hunt to the campus. Thank you, Facts of Life writers, for the reference to the fact that Joe is a regent. I wondered if we were ever going to hear about that again, which is the episode of, I think, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. Also brings up the question. I'm not going to be home for dinner, Mrs. Garrett. So they're getting room and board. So Mrs. Garrett is running a business, doing all the baking. But is Mrs. Garrett like the mom responsible for dinner versus girls? we need to have rotating duty of feeding us as well. It's very interesting. I, th I think that could still be the case. They are rotating, but you still have to let people know I'm not going to be home for dinner tonight from their own store. There's plenty to eat there. Yeah. And that's, it, that should be dinner. It's like, it's, you know, the potato salad goes bad at midnight. So guess what <laughs> dinner is? Um, I want their store looks fantastic. Um, I hadn't thought about Edna's edibles in a long time. And I think it completely holds up. It's timeless. You could walk into that store today and it looks like a nice store. Cracker Barrel Chic or whatever. I would agree with you. The store is lovely. I feel like it's a little retro because of the, the mauve. I, I never know how to say this word. Because once when I was a child, Miss Piggy pronounced it as mauve. And I still, <laughs> my brain wants to say mauve. But I believe it's mauve or mauve. Yeah. It's that dusty rose kind of pinkish with a lot of gray in it color you're not about that and when they go into the living quarters it looks great and then there's this 1980s wallpaper in a couple different places but for the most part i think their set design's great it looks really good and it kind of holds up that will not be true later when we get the other store um, <laughs> over our heads yes <laughs> but uh, yeah so i think the only thing is maybe if we walked into that store today, the colors would be a little, hmm, this is, that, that's an interesting color to choose. Uh, but yeah, the woodwork is lovely and the hominess of, of, the, of the barrels, of the butcher block, of the garlic hanging. And yeah. uh, no, no, I agree with you. It's a lovely, I want, I want to be there. Well, I had something I would like to say about Mrs. Garrett. My favorite seasons are the, the last two years at the, um, at Eastland. That's mm -hmm. when I, Facts of Life, I think, is seasons three and four and a lot of those episodes. But I think for most people, this is kind of the iconic look. Uh, is this first season of Edna's Edibles? I think Mrs. Garrett looks better than she'll ever look. Um, I just think they finally found the right, uh, I don't know, just the right look for her with her hair and her clothing. I think she's at a good place physically, and she just seems at top of her game for Facts of Life. Um, I like that a lot. I was also thinking about when people do 80s shows now, they really should watch some of these episodes to get what people wore day to day. People do these funny 80s outfits and like, well, that's not really how we dressed. But when I looked at what Natalie was wearing, 
I'm a guy, but I actually had the exact same outfit. It was this blue and gold striped, real thick sweater. Mm-hmm. Just sort of um, a lot of like those big jaunty sweaters that you push up the sleeves. And I just think that um, this is the iconic moment when I close my eyes and picture facts of life. This is how the characters look. Joe still has her ponytail, but it's, you know, I don't know. There's a little more to it than there was before. She's getting older. I, I like the way everybody looks. Um, when I first watched the uh, opening credits, I was like, this, this is how I remember all these characters. So I just wanted to share that. Mrs. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on the fact that to me, my facts of life is seasons two, three, and four. That's really my, my yeah. jam. And I know so many people who are just a few years younger as, and as you are a few years younger, uh, they have a particular fondness for Edna's edibles. And I'm like, Ugh. even enjoying it now, after all these years, I'm still kind of like, Ooh, the writing is, I'm really struggling to find as, as the show is struggling to find its groove. I am, I am too. Cause there's a lot of ugh, weird stuff as there is in this episode. This road you're on is going to get so much rougher that you should enjoy <laughs> this last. <laughs> I know. I know. Now I have watched like eight seasons, eight, and nine. Those I did watch. <laughs> a couple of years ago, because I realized I had never seen them. And that was when I was like, Ugh. so I know re- we've got, yeah, I have a journey ahead of me, that's for sure. Uh, so with all of this pageantry about, oh my God, she's such a movie star, a movie star, and she makes movies, that and that, at least someone can get her autograph. Maybe she might even come into the store. Well, guess who is unimpressed? Joe. <laughs> and they're like, Joe, what do you mean? In her movie angels on dirt bikes she did all her own stunts and that will come back to us in a bit but um when it's talked about that she could be seen out and about in town and mrs garrett says she could even come into here and someone and and then joe says ah no big stars are ever gonna walk through that door and who comes in james (laughs) jerry jewel cousin jerry I think also looks at her best in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, her hair is longer. She seems comfortable and confident. And the episode has zero to do with her having cerebral palsy. She's uh, yes. Where she's beloved and has something to say that will help the plot along later. Yeah. Um, and it's consistent with her character too. Like they're, they're playing upon the fact that she's a semi-famous nationally known comedian. But my thing is that for how well they've done this the last couple of times with Jerry, why is this her penultimate appearance? And why in just a few weeks, we're gonna have our last Cousin Jerry episode for how famous this show made her, for how known the show was for featuring her. Why at the end of season five, in the next four seasons, do they never use her again? That to me is so yeah. odd. So she's, she's a Facebook friend of mine. We've been Facebook friends for a long time and we Shut chat up! a little- yeah, she's, you should add her on Facebook. She's terrific. Um, often what she's talking about is her experiences on Deadwood and mm-hmm. some of her um, as a, as a stand-up. But I think she asked the same question you asked, like things seem to be going so well, and then they just stopped calling, I think. Now they, you know, we're going to see them going in different directions and trying different things with some of their failed characters next year, but... We'll get to that when the time comes. Yeah. It's like, why are they trying to add Kelly? What is the deal with right. Pippa? When you already had Jerry, who had a relationship, and the fact that the show could 
make its claim to fame. Well, look who we feature here. Look what we have done to give visibility to this unseen community. I just can't believe that with the attention we know that it brought to the show, why did they not continue riding that wave? Yeah, I really enjoyed her in this episode. I thought, yeah, um, it in and it was, I, she's a good to the cast. Yeah, and it's one of those where they could have cut a deal to say, okay, we're going to guarantee you six episodes per season. That's all we would have needed, but it would have given her regular exposure. And it, they, they've always been able to incorporate her. Once they got past the, these are episodes about her disability, now she's just one of the family, and it's not even a thing, which is, I think, even more powerful. She could have been very useful later when um, Charlotte Ray asked to be written out of some episodes each season. Mm -hmm. Having a little bit of a mentor, you know, she's older, has some experience. Um, she could have filled that role a little bit. Yeah. So it's an opportunity. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Um, so with Jerry coming in, she's in town for the AMA convention. Oh, the American Medical Association? No, the American Mime Association. <laughs> what, 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 yeah. <laughs> what kind of an audience do you think they're going to be? Probably very quiet. <sighs> okay. But um, when they talk about this, Heather Hunt, movie star Heather Hunt, Jerry says, oh, I did Merv with her. And they're like, oh, my God, you guys are like best friends. And she's like, dit, dit, dit. no, no, no. I said I did Merv with her. It's not like I did Johnny with her. And these are wonderful references to the 80s. Merv, ladies and gentlemen, being Merv Griffin, daytime talk show. And Johnny being Johnny Carson, longtime host of The Tonight Show, late night. Hopefully people know that, but it scares me that many people won't. Uh, and, and no sexual overtones with, I did Merv with her and doing Johnny <laughs> with, it's like, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> but, um, and it's like, well, what did she say? And I love this line. She says, I don't remember. Every time she tried to talk, Shelly Winters interrupted her. <laughs> oh. That's a beautiful reference and perfectly appropriate. You imagine that's, that's how Shelly Winters was. She was a staple of those shows. So then into the store comes Blair and Cliff. Actor Woody Brown playing Cliff Winfield. This is his second appearance, uh, though we do have three more of them. Uh, the third of them being the episode way down the road when the ex-boyfriends come back to haunt them in Cupid's Revenge. <laughs> But um, yeah, he's here and he's back. And it's like, oh my God, that's great. And there are no references whatsoever to the fact that his first appearance was he was Blair's boyfriend who danced at a strip club. Stripping <gasps> his way through medical school. Yeah, just dancing my way through school. No reference whatsoever is made to it. On the good side, the no reference could mean that it's still there, but it's just not discussed. Nothing contradicts that other than he has time to go to parties. I'm, I've been told throughout my life, medical school can be a tad time consuming. And so with that in the dancing schedule, the fact that he has all this time to spend with Blair, I, I hope he is still dancing. I hope he is working his way through school and he didn't give that up for her. Well, later uh, he said he got off work early. So I'm assuming that was... <laughs> Oh, no. 
he said it was a shift at a hospital, though. He said, I, I got oh. off my shift at the hospital. Got it. He didn't so, mean a shift. Yeah. Yeah. Dance club. And I do wonder, because he does have a line at one point where he says, I've made a commitment. Uh, and they give a little tiny bit of weight to that line, or at least he does. One wonders if the subliminal thing is, I gave up dancing at the club for you, and now I work this other job at a hospital for a lot less money. That, that could be the implication. I don't know. I wonder what that writer's room conversation was. God, would I have loved to have heard but I'm thrilled to see him back. We love to see recurring characters. We love to see uh, them giving the boyfriends more than just an episode, and then we never hear from them again. So at this point, the recurring boyfriends, by my count, we've met Jeff, Tootie's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. we've, have we only met Jeff once so far? We've met or Jeff twice. So, and he's in for the long haul. I mean, he's in a series and... It, well, no, they break up for a couple of seasons. Like, there's a there's a period of time when yeah. Jeff is not in the picture, but when he does come back towards the end of the show, they get engaged, and we later find out, married, have a child, and then he dies. Yes. And then we have Eddie, Joe's previous boyfriend, who visits a couple times. Yeah, we have not seen Eddie since they gave up. They they officially broke off their engagement. Uh then I'm spoiling things. Sorry. <laughs> but he does, we know he does come back and we, again, yeah, spoiler alert. It's, it's a kind of a devastating uh, reunion oh. that's coming up. I, if it hasn't happened already, I think it's this season. And um, then um, is the only other ongoing love interest, I think so far. Is that right? I don't think we really get a regular for Natalie until snake comes into the picture. I really like the actor playing cliff. I think he's a good match for her. And mm -hmm. um, he never, I shouldn't say never, he very purposely keeps his eyes on her every moment they're in a scene together. Mm -hmm. And it's not, not just in a, that was my direction, so I'm doing it. You just feel like, I believe that he really loves this girl. Really nicely done, I thought. I liked Cliff a lot. Yes. <laughs> for, for those who are listening, that sound is James crossing out things on his list and I see two pages there. Is it two pages of notes? <laughs> it's two pages of notes. Sometimes yes. I cross as I said it and sometimes I'm like he covered it. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so so I agree with you. Yes. I love that Cliff is uh, a good match for Blair. There's a nice goofiness they've given him. They give him a sense of humor. Like when she says, when we were at the school you introduced me as your girlfriend Blair. And he says, Yeah. Did you change your name? And that's cute. That's a cute way to, to do it. You get the sense that um, he, he doesn't take himself very seriously. And he needs to do, not do that because of Blair. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he took it to his medical school. We never discuss what medical school this is that he's going to in Peekskill. And it's not Langley. It's just medical school. <laughs> so, okay, well, we'll uh, maybe that'll be revealed later, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a, a garden variety medical school, you know, like the corner market. Um, so uh, Blair does say, we have a few things we need to discuss as she excuses them from uh, the girls in the store and they go back into the living room. And this conversation starts taking place. And the long and short of it is that... 
because he introduced her as his girlfriend, that was weird for Blair. And he's like, well, why is it weird? We've been dating for five months. And he says, I thought there was something special between us. And basically, Blair is in this kind of wishy-washy place where she's saying, yeah, you know, you're one of my favorite people and I love the time we spend together, but if we go to a party, you make me feel self-conscious. And there's a little bit of a conversational leap here. And she says, can I help it if guys flock to me at parties? They're only human. <laughs> and he says, well, I respect their taste, but if any of them asks you, are you going with someone? I want you to say yes. And there is some of the dialogue here that was cut for the syndicated version of the show, but it doesn't really, it's not really cutting out anything major. I really thought that some of the dialogue missing was the dialogue that got us from point A of Blair saying, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this girlfriend thing, to you make me feel uncomfortable at parties because men flock to me. I think dialogue wise, we could have maybe shuffled this deck of lines a little bit better. She, she says something about, I don't want to feel tied down. And he says, I, you know, I don't, do I make you feel tied down? He says, if we go to a party, I always let you do your thing and be a social butterfly. I, all the guys still flock to you and have her say, yes, exactly that. When the guys flock to me, you make me feel uncomfortable because you're there and I'm self-conscious. That could have been a little smoother transition to get to that. Uh, do you agree with me or was it not a oh, problem for you? I, I think the whole episode, I like this episode and I think it's well-written. I feel like it was probably 10 minutes too long and that's why we jumped right into the exposition. <laughs> and there's no, there's no tag at the end either. We'll get to the ending, but it, it's another one of those Facts of Life episodes. It just kind of, it ends. Yeah. And I think they, they may have written more and this is where they had to trim. Well, um, the syndicated version, you watch the version on Daily Motion, or do you have the DVDs? I have the DVDs. Oh, okay. So good. You and I watch the same show. In syndication, yeah. there are three minutes missing, and people who, I'm, I'm assuming my listeners are watching them on Daily Motion, so those are the syndicated versions. So there's three minutes okay. missing, and the first cuts are some of these lines came out here. And <laughs> comparing the two versions, the, the, the extraction did not help. The scene was a little bit awkward regardless. Yeah. So I love this storyline. I'm so pleased that you let me do this episode. I was surprised that a man wrote it, first of all. Mm -hmm. It's a great gender reversal. Um, I think that there are plenty of TV episodes and teen movies where it's the guy who's not sure he wants to be tied down, mm -hmm. and it's Blair. And uh, we've known her for years, and it fits. Like, especially, I mean, she says what one of her motivations about, or one of the causes of this feeling for her, um, maybe we want to wait till that comes up organically yes. in the episode, but as her reason, and we can extrapolate some other reasons. We know her. And just yeah. because she's like, well, there's some other things there too. And uh, I just think it's so well written, even going back to Cliff is the one who's secretly dancing his way through medical school that often would have been assigned to a girl and a guy has to understand that his very hot girlfriend can make money from being beautiful. And we've flipped all that on its head in this relationship. And I think it's really powerful for her and for the show to be able to do that. And I hope they'll find more examples of that where they've taken these tropes and just changed the gender on them to see what that feels like. And um, he really, Woody Brown is really doing a great job of, I find him believable. I find him, um, someone who could actually 
work his like navigate this minefield of dating this very rich, very spoiled and troubled girl mm-hmm. and you know, trying to make it work and not seeming like a loser for trying to make it work. It's like, this is what she needs. Even if she doesn't end up with him in the long run, this is going to be a big step for her. And I just beautifully written. I really thought they did a nice job coming up with this. Yeah. I, as I, I like it a lot too, as always me, the devil is in the details where I want just little dialogue tweaks just to make stuff a little clearer and make a little more sense. This, this scene being one of them, but Oh yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, what they end up landing on is Blair, the, the the final sort of gist of the scene is Blair doesn't want to feel tied down, but he's like, but I've made a commitment to you and we're together. And and she was just like, I, I just want to go places by myself. Well, like this party tonight that's happening for Heather Hunt over at the Gamma Gamma sorority house where they clearly changed their wallpaper recently. And he says okay, we could do that. She's like, yeah, uh, we, you know, I, I go, I want to go places and be on my own and you go places and be on your own. And then we have this, I think we've reached a new plateau in what we have together as Blair is being evasive. Again, more of the little nitpicky stuff is Blair is being so uh, evasive and uncertain and indecisive there is a sense of you, I wanted dialogue where he says to her, so do you want to break up then? And she's like, no. And he says, so what you're saying is, uh, you know, you're feeling bogged down with me and you want to go places alone, but you still want to be together. It would have been kind of cool if he had said, Blair, that's weird. And you have some things to figure out. Yeah. And just kind of leave it a little more uh, open-ended and leave her to kind of, hmm. Because then we go on to the next scene and it's the party. And it is supposed to be at the Gamma Gamma uh, sorority house. This set, including the, you know, the walls, they do not resemble anything like the Gamma Gamma that we saw in the episode Gamma Gamma or Bust. Both times they spend time in that set. First of all, it's, it's not a well-designed set. No. It's, it, I mean, it's just very 80s. Um, but like a lesser sitcom. And I feel like somewhere in their TV studio, they had a set, they quickly redressed and said, this is going to be Gamma Gamma this time. Let's go. That's what it feels. It's very Um, utilitarian. Yes. Yeah. So at this party, the first image we see is Blair holding court and surrounded by cute guys, (laughs) including among them, uh, actor David Tiefen, playing the role of Guy Reynolds. You will recall Guy Reynolds was the guy in the towel when Tootie and Natalie went to visit the dorms for the first time. The TV Guide ad for that season, promising us that there would be men in towels at the co-ed dorm. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was probably his butt uh, that we saw there. And and Mrs. Garrett with the tray of overturned cocktail weenies (laughs) doing the "Ah!" (laughs) face. Uh, so yeah, this is his fourth, uh, of six appearances for this character and this actor playing this character. Um, and at this point we don't see him again this season. He's going to be back in season six in episodes six and seven. Uh, the ones called taking a chance on love parts one and two. I think that's where Joe is dating a dude with a daughter from what I remember. Um, So this is the last time we see him this season. Now, granted, we're at episode 19. The season is kind of winding up. We don't have that much farther to go. Um, 
so we do have a, a little interaction with Boots and Blair that <laughs> is cut from the syndicated version. I'm glad oh. you get to see the DVD version. So you get to see yep. full Bootsy. Yep. But for the people who did not see it, Boots comes over and we, we never really had a truly adversarial relationship between the two of them. We never had them digging at each other before. Am I right? I, I was surprised by that. It was not how I remembered the character. So I'm glad you're telling me that because I've missed a lot of season five on yeah. this rewatch. Um, they definitely went catty with each other for seemingly no reason. Um, but I enjoyed it. it. It reminded me of the old days of Blair and Joe just sniping at each other for no reason. So Yeah. I, In the past, Bootsy has kind of been like this this extra crazy character. But the idea is that they were of the same tribe, they're on the same team. Bootsy yeah. is just like Blair Overdrive, Overkill. I think that uh, it shows us who Blair might have become if she hadn't gotten it, Garrett and the girls. Yes, yeah. that's that's beautifully put, yes. And so uh, in this episode, we very quickly kind of pit them against each other, which is weird, but I'm sorry, Jamie Gertz is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I loved it, I didn't mind at all. Yeah. So what is missing from the syndicated version, for those who didn't watch what we, what we did, is the first thing that happens to the party is Boots comes over to this little gathering and she says, well, I'm sensing some intense social activity in this quadrant of the room. <laughs> oh, Blair, you deserve it. You try so hard. And Blair retorts, I mean, unfazed with, well, thank you, Boots. You know, I really love your dress. It makes me so nostalgic for last year. <laughs> and then Boots, I think, nicely says, I think that's a dig at me, and I'm going to ignore it. I am rubber, and you are glue. And she just walks away, like, I'm maintaining my dignity, and it's good that she doesn't go in further. And I think in a classy little extra touch, as she walks back to her little social place, Boots walks by a girl and says, lovely blouse, and goes to a boy and says, great belt. <laughs> so it's like, oh, she's already atoning for being a little bit of a bitch there and in, in saying to other people, complimenting their clothes unsolicited, which I think was a nice thing. And uh, I do have to point out that the girl and the guy, she says those two, they were both in the All or Nothing episode where there was the crowd gathered outside the Board of Regents conference room protesting the sports board, the scoreboard. I will post pictures on the website, but I noticed it because a discussion had come up where uh, one of my listeners, his name is Doug M., pointed out that in the crowd of All or Nothing, he said, did you notice Miss Ames is there? Miss Ames was the dorm monitor back oh, at the beginning of the season. And I'm, I'm not sure, forgive me, Doug, I'm not sure I agree. I think it's a woman who looks a lot like Miss Ames. She has a very similar hairstyle. And that student, the one at the, uh, at the demonstration, that is absolutely the girl sitting on the couch that Boots says, lovely blouse. And so it's definitely the same girl. I don't think that girl is Miss Ames, but you know, hey, I have been wrong in the past. <laughs> and then the guy is just a guy in the background uh, that you see. And like I said, I found them both and I posted, uh, I'll post pictures of them side by side. I'm really proud of myself for that. <laughs> <sighs> so we've been talking about the clothes. 
in comes Cliff to the party. Hi. Can you describe his outfit for us, James? So he seems to be wearing a pair of mauve pants, which are pulled up past his belly button for some reason. Well, that's which the style. They were high-waisted. They, were, they came up to your, your natural biological waist, not your below-the-belly-button waist. And then he has his tie is loosened, but it doesn't seem long enough um, <laughs> for a grown man's tie. Later, someone straightens it for him, and I'm so thankful for that. It just every moment he was on screen with those pants and that tie just ruined my <laughs> And I'll say the tie is also one of those amazing 80s ties. It's a knit tie and it is square on the bottom. Yes. And the tie is burgundy, which goes with the, with the mauve pants uh, beautifully. And uh, over that, his sort of thing that's jazzing up the outfit here is a black polished cotton members only jacket that he has got the sleeves rolled up and the sheen that the polished cotton gives it. it makes it look like leather but you can tell it's not as heavy as leather he looks 80s tastic i want to dress like that so badly <laughs> i think he looks like a million dollars in 1984. yep <laughs> 1984. yes um so then uh, cliff goes to blair and uh, immediately he introduces himself to Guy, so the two guys talk, and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you following me around? And, and this is a little weird, where he was like, well, I got off my hospital shift early, so I thought, uh, why not show up? It is weird that they just agreed that they were gonna give each other their space, so why the fuck would he show up there? As opposed to, what they land on where Blair is like, well, you're not here with me. This is it. As far as I'm concerned, I'm at this party and you're at this party. I would have liked it better if he had said, what, I can't come to a party? And she's like, well, I'm here. And have him say, well, yeah, you said you're on your own. I'm on my own. So you're here at the party and I'm here at the party. It would have been kind of more interesting for them to find that together or for him to make it clear that it was not his intention to follow her around because I don't think it wasn't. What do you think? Yeah. I, I think you can make that argument. I like that it's, it is her choice to distance him. So what follows is kind of her fault. Like she can't complain. She shouldn't complain about what happens next. That's true. I will, I will say that's very true. But, and, and it's good that she pushes back on him. Because again, show, him showing up is a little like, ooh, Cliff. And when Megan Maroney and I discussed Cliff's first appearance, and how he had given Blair her space after she found out about the dancing and wasn't sure if it was okay. He did, he did everything right. He was so respectful. He wasn't calling her saying, well, we'll make a decision. Well, let's get together. Well, I wanna see you. We, we landed on that Cliff was really a wonderful, nice, non-toxic was the term Megan kept using. Uh, non-toxic boyfriend. And this is just a little moment of, oh no, in explaining why you're there, I wanted it to be something not in any way, shape or form related to her. Yeah. And sadly that doesn't happen. It's a little misstep, but you know for me, little missteps are big, huge uh, crises of, of everything. So finally. Boots, in a great Boots moment, starts making noise. She, she rings a bell, like a fucking little dinner <laughs> bell. And she's like, all right, everybody, volume control time. 
she has to get the floor in the center of attention because she has to finally introduce the guest of honor, ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Heather Hunt. And in swoops grandly. It's like Auntie Mame showing up at one of her own parties. It is such a huge, grand entrance. It is such an actressy over the top. Hello. Oh, thank you. And it's, it's kind of weird that it's like, okay, I'm aware that TV and movies exist in very different worlds at this point in history. But by the same token, this is such a weird uh, interpretation of <laughs> what a sitcom thinks movie stars are like. And throughout this episode, there seems to be this, at least for me anyway, I'm like going, really? Or is this, is this what you think your audience thinks movie stars act like in everyday life? Yeah. So I think today this would be done very differently. Mm. It would be... A- Portman type who, you know, she's, she's trying to better herself after leaving Hollywood or something like that. This was more like, it seemed like an actress who thinks she's going undercover to do research for a movie is how she behaves. It doesn't seem like someone who would actually be wanting to spend four years at a college in rural New York. Yeah. Um, I was so excited when she came on the screen because I thought, the first look I got her, I thought she was Crystal Bernard. Um, <laughs> you thought it was Crystal Bernard, but in fact, who is she? She is Robin Bernard, Crystal's sister. Yes. Uh, who I did not realize existed until this morning when I did my deep dive to figure out <laughs> how this woman looks so much like Crystal Bernard. And it took it took a little digging. Um, IMDb did not make it clear they were sisters, at least not on Robin's page. Oh. But um I, I flipped over to Wikipedia, and they are both the daughters of um, Jerry Bernard, the televangelist, which I also didn't realize. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Were singers before they were actresses and performed at his shows when he would do his televangelism. Oh. Um, I keep that he did live shows that he traveled with as well, and mm-hmm. they would be gospel singers. Um, but I like Crystal Bernard so much, and I'm glad there's another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shame we didn't get more of her. She has only 11 acting credits, according to IMDb, and they end in 2002. So I don't know why she left the biz or what facet of the biz she might be into now, because IMDb doesn't cover everything. But um, we do establish, and I do give the show props for this. This is a costuming win, where <laughs> that earlier reference to her having torn clothing, they quickly latch onto that as her signature look. So she's wearing black leggings, a red leopard print blousey shirt with a red belt, but there are slashes and cuts all over both articles of clothing. I think the costumer for this episode did a tremendous job. That was really smart. And then through the episode, other people begin wearing torn clothing. Yes. Uh, culminating with uh, Natalie and Tootie in full torn outfits. And uh, I just thought it was really fun. Yeah, to to Blair's consternation uh, later, yes. So um, she comes over, she introduces herself to Guy, and she's playing her so grand and so broad. And she is gorgeous. She does look like a movie star. Like, they cast her very well. And for this type of character, this archetype of the grand, the grand dame, she does a great job. I really like her performance. 
it's they don't give her much to do. She's kind of playing one note. But um, Joe welcomes her on behalf of the Board of Regents, and uh, she uh, is referred to by Bootsy as star of stage, screen, and Bob Hope specials. <laughs> and then uh, she says, well, I want to just, you know, live an everyday life and meet everyday people. Oh, like that guy. And she looks over at Cliff standing by himself in the corner. And the audience all goes, ooh. So Bootsy actually introduces the two of them, which helps along the sort of Blair-Bootsy conflict that's happening here. And uh, basically, they start talking. And Joe alerts Blair and says, do you see what's going on here? And Blair's like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, and Blair notices. And cut from syndication is a little tiny piece where Blair turns back to her entourage and starts to talk again with Guy, but in a little more flirty way. And that doesn't pay off in any way. It's not like, uh, well, he sees Blair flirting with Guy, so he starts flirting with, with Heather more. Uh, you would have thought that would have been there. That's a common trope. But it's literally just a few seconds that they use to trim out the time. Because the next day, at Edna's Edibles, we have Tootie and Natalie following Blair around, bugging her with, well, what did she look like? What was she wearing? How did she act? What did she say? Again, how I think Hollywood maybe hopes that Middle America is about celebrities. It's like, she's going to school here. She is a student. She fucking lives here. It is very likely you're going to meet her. If not in everyday life, you're going to meet her through me. And she's a damn person. Calm down. Cool your jets. You kind of wish there was somebody there to uh, give some levity. Or, or that Joe's, maybe Joe could have been the person to do that. As opposed to, nah, I'm not impressed with movie stars. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, but again, that's part of my rewrites. I'll be sending back to the writers in my time machine. But Blair just wants to change the subject. She doesn't want to uh, deal with it. We have a very interesting moment here where Joe says, yeah. And she certainly doesn't want to talk about how Heather Hunt was burning her brand into your boyfriend. And so there's this kind of, mm, Joe is rubbing Blair's face in it. And the way they have it blocked, and they've done this before, where you have like Blair and Joe squaring off in a two-shot and they'll put Mrs. Garrett behind them through <laughs> their shoulders. So all you just see is Mrs. Garrett's like eyes and nose and red hair looking over the shoulders like. <laughs> and because she's looking through them in this two shot, she's looking at the camera. So we just have this weird composition of, eh, okay, we, we, we had to get Charlotte Ray in one more shot because it's her show, I guess. But did yeah. you notice that? It's interesting with the Charlotte Ray thing because later she's going to cite um, not having enough to do with her character. Yeah. As, like trim down my role on the show. And it is increasingly becoming true. Um, I think there's more and more episodes where it's like you are trying to shoehorn her in here to have a line or two. But yeah. it, it is hard that each to have this house mother looming over them or poking out between their uh <laughs> their necks or whatever in this scene <laughs> it's quite oh, yes. literal like she must have worked 15 minutes total that week mm -hmm. to make this episode. she gets to say four or five things. 
done. Yes. So then in comes Bootsy. Bootsy <laughs> comes in and in one of my most favorite and least favorite sitcom tropes, the person coming in the room to announce another person walking into a room. Typically it's presenting the new president of the senior class at Fillmore Junior High. It's Marsha Brady or whatever. You know, it's, it's typically a, an expositional thing. But in this case, it's just Bootsy basically saying, here, she's fucking here. Ladies, you know, get ready. She's here. I love everything Bootsy does in this episode. She, yes, and she is about to fucking crush it. Like, <laughs> I think maybe her greatest moment in the whole series is coming up. And uh, <laughs> so uh, she's once again wearing the blouse with the slashes, a, a mini skirt, heels, uh, stockings, black uh, pantyhose, and a fur coat. And it's like, again, that, that grand damn it's, it's like, okay, well, this is clearly the type of actress who likes to make a fuss and likes the attention. I think it does make it easier for her to be dispatched at the end because she was such an over-the-top character. True. Um, and less, you had to worry less about Cliff's actual soul here because clearly yeah. this not go anywhere. So it helps with that a little bit, storytelling-wise. Yes, I, I, you know what, I do agree with you on that. Um, <laughs> so then... Uh, Mrs. Garrett curtsies to her like there's this, you know, genuflecting before the deity of this Hollywood. She makes movies. Oh, my God, we are not worthy. So we've got uh, her there because she is having uh, a special home cooked meal with a date that night. And Joe says, and you want us to be your stunt cooks. And it's like, ah, cute. That was a good joke. <laughs> So they're talking about what types of foods and what menu and all that. Um, so Mrs. Garrett says, can we take a picture outside? So Mrs. Garrett and Tootie and Heather all go outside, leaving just Bootsy. I don't even know where Natalie is in this scene, but we just have Boots, Blair, and Joe. And um, Boots says, she says something about the date and this line, she does it so perfectly. I'm gonna to attempt to duplicate it, but she says, something to the effect about the big date. And she goes, oh, Boots, now you've done it. Well, since the cat's out of the bag, we might as well name it Cliff. That's right. <laughs> she is having a date with your boyfriend, Blair. Well, I've got to go, Shazoom! <laughs> I think Shazoom as an exit line. <laughs> we should have kept Jamie Gertz on the show and that should have been her What You yeah. Talking About Willis. So that is probably her best moment on the show. My favorite Boots moment was in a previous episode where it was snowing outside and they mentioned salting the sidewalk and she gets a salt shaker from the table and <laughs> dainty <laughs> salting yes. because she experienced actual work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, and this continues the light jabbing, like they're not enemies. Immediately when I think of enemies or frenemies, I think of Laverne DeFazio and Rosie Greenbaum. Rosie. <laughs> how they were, I mean, they would come to blows anytime Rosie was on the show, how that was really, they were enemies, sworn nemeses. But in this case, it's just this sort of Bootsy playing up the, oh, well, gee, <laughs> I've gone and told you that she's trying to fuck your boyfriend. 
And, and, and you know what, as I say that, the, the thing I do like about this episode is there is, a, there is a veneer of innocence about it. Because we know that Blair, Blair Warner does not fuck around. We know that Blair is still a virgin and will stay so for the rest of the run of the show. Um, so we know that this whole thing with her and Cliff is really and truly dating in the classic sense, how they are dating, making a commitment and all that, but they are not sleeping together. And uh, Heather making the moves on him. Later, we realize because she lives at the sorority house, it's not like she's bringing him to her private apartment where things might happen for a young <laughs> red-blooded American boy who likes dancing in front of middle-aged women, that type of thing. There is no sense of sexuality. It's just a, she's trying to take your boyfriend. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And um, they're pretty careful with that. Um, setting it a gamma gamma and having Bootsy kind of chaperoning it. I mean, she's kind of in and out of it, <laughs> helpfully. <laughs> well, just being this hovering thing, it's like the episode, the, the companion episode to this would be Heather going to Bootsy saying, uh, you make me feel too confined and I want to go to a party alone without you making me feel uncomfortable. Uh, but we will get there. And uh, again, what is happening here? The conversation that Blair had earlier with Cliff, it didn't definitively lay out, we are free to go on dates with other people. Mm -hmm. If later she said, what are you doing here? He says, what? She said she wanted to have dinner with me here at the sorority house. The idea of him saying, it, it wasn't my thought that there was anything other than we were just gonna hang out here. This is a public space. So I don't know, his, he seems like his intentions are innocent, but by the same token, <laughs> we don't get his actual point of view on this so you can read it at face value which is he's like you said this is what you wanted we're you know not we don't have a name for what we are and you know you can yeah. go out alone go out alone and they actually literally went to the same place i mean that's the same room she went to a party in the other night yeah he's gone any further beyond that he's just trying to prove a gentle point yeah, and maybe, I think maybe the, the solution, the fix that I'm desperately wanting for this episode, just to clarify so that the intentions are clear. I think mm -hmm. that what I maybe could use is maybe in that first scene, they should have just explicitly said, well, do you want to not see each other anymore? Never be like, well, no. So you do want to see each other, but not like we have been. And Blair say, I just need to get my head together. So maybe the, the old friends think we were on a break. Mm -hmm. But I think that would have been a lot cleaner. And that would have made his going to this dinner with her. It's like, yeah, he's free to date whoever the fuck he wants. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's it. As in my, in my desperate problematic perfectionism to want to make these episodes <laughs> uh, ideal in, in my brain. But um, we come back from commercial with a little bit that was cut from the syndicated version. We've got Joe doing some work at the desk, Mrs. Garrett doing something worky with papers at the couch. Blair is slapping around a dish towel angrily as though she is theoretically cleaning, but obviously she's 
you know, physically playing out that she's upset. And Joe says, Blair, come on. We know you're trying to get your mind off of Cliff. And Joe says, let's go to dinner and then slash her tires. <laughs> and uh, then Tootie and Natalie, now we come back from the uh, omitted portion in the syndicated version. Uh, and, and now this is where the syndicated version starts. Tootie and Natalie come down dressed in blouses with all slashes all over them. And Joe admonished, she's like, really guys? Are you fucking kidding me? How, you know, it's like, you know, she's upset about this thing. And Blair is just assaulting the pillows and swatting around that dish towel. And um, uh, so uh, ding dong, Jerry at the door, she comes in. So they're like, how was the deal? Uh, how was the show over at, uh, um, with the mimes? And she's like, yeah, it was fine. There wasn't really a joke there. Uh, Jerry's purpose is that bringing up the fact that she has met Heather at the talk show. She says, um, she goes, I barely talked to her. And she says, at one point she asked to borrow my lipstick. And Joe says, you see that? She stole Jerry's lipstick. You've got to stop her. Joe is clearly humming a different tune here because when we discovered Cliff was an exotic dancer, Joe was almost gaslighting Blair into saying, you don't want to be with him. This guy's a creep. So you hate this guy. And, yeah. you and like I said, it stopped short of her saying, and therefore you're going to stay here and stay single and be with me and we're going to be so happy together. <laughs> so now Joe is basically saying, bitch, get out there and fight for your man. She is on the absolute opposite side, seeing that Blair is so miserable without Cliff. I think that's very sweet. Mm -hmm. If you can call slashing a person's tires sweet. For Joe, it is. <laughs> For Joe, that's, that's an act of affection. We know that, yeah. Um, so then finally, thank God, the Mrs. Garrett, who is the moment? And she says, uh, different terminology in 1984. She says, Blair, you've always wanted an open relationship with Cliff. Open relationship meaning something different in those days. What? That means just dating other people. That's not about fucking or polyamory. Um, and she says, do you want to make a commitment? Once you figure out what you really want from your relationship, you'll know what to do. <laughs> but now Mrs. Garrett cannot dispense with any more wisdom. They're going off to see a movie. And Blair's like, really? Where are you going? And they're like, nowhere. What are you seeing? Nothing. And at this point, comedically, Tootie and Natalie are holding up their coats to cover their outfits. <laughs> and well, one can only assume and guess when they reveal they're going to see a Heather Hunt film festival. No, she's everywhere. <laughs> Revenge of the Apaches. That was uh, one of her <laughs> other films dropped the name of that. She dated the entire tribe. Oh, is it? I missed that one. So they all leave for the film festival. Now we have just Joe and Blair. And Joe says to her, Joe seals the deal in really helping Blair to see and understand that she wants to fight for Cliff. And she says, come on, Blair, admit it. You want to punch her lights out. And Blair says, I have my pride. And Joe says, that's all you're going to have. Because right now she is feeding him pasta salad that you made. Bam, that was it. That was the final Blair, and rightfully so, was like, yeah, no, this is not happening. 
So then we go to the next scene and we are at the Gamma Gamma house. Uh, she is dressed for a casual date in a dinner and home. Uh, Heather is uh, wearing a, a black top with sequins on it. Definitely something Liza Minnelli would have worn. <laughs> and uh, he's in a corduroy jacket with, uh, with the patches on the sleeves. Very like, ooh, that's a little stuffy for how stylish and youthful he was dressing in the other party scene. It's weird that he's a little more formal for this like I said, the fixes that I want for this show would have him dressed more casual. Like, no, she just asked me to come over and hang out. I didn't know she had had a big dinner planned. A dinner which we never see, by the way. But they talk more about her celebrities. Oh, you know, parties, limousines, champagne. All those things that people who aren't in Hollywood imagine being in Hollywood is like. Yes, that's what it's like. <laughs> then Bootsy comes in to play a record and... uh it ends up being loud, obnoxious. And then she says like, oops, sorry, wrong mood. So it's like, oh, bitch, you're trying to set mood music to, for these two? Yep. You wanna see Blair and this boy break up. Yep. Plicitous and yet comedic and therefore we love her. I, I tell you, it's like, if you're the bitch, we hate you. If you're the funny bitch, we love you. Well, I'm going to miss her from this series. This scene is it. She's going to walk through that door and she is just never going to be mentioned again. Uh, right. That is that is correct. But we still have a little, she does get kind of a good exit line. So she's Dang, not yeah. gone yet. She's not, she's not dead yet. So ding dong at the door, answers it. And it's Blair. And she says, hi, I'm from Edna's Edibles. You forgot the rigatoni that you were going to serve for your home cooked meal tonight. And then <laughs> a great Bootsy moment again. Uh, Cliff gets up and says, Blair, what a surprise. And Boots jumps in. No, it's not. Just furious, but comedically furious. So it works. Uh, so then um, Heather is like, oh, do you know each other? Because you think of it, Heather and Blair really did not meet at the party. Uh, so Blair says to her, I think it's time we had a woman to woman chat. So Blair is about to lay it out. And it would have been interesting to hear what she was going to say to Heather. We didn't forget this, but it would have been interesting for her to say, Cliff is mine and I want him exclusively. That's the big step that she can't take. So it's interesting that she was, I think, theoretically going to go there. But um, uh, before she has a chance to do that, ding dong, what's going on? There's a photographer at the door a photographer from Us Magazine, played by actor Rick Addison. Doesn't have many <laughs> acting credits. Six acting credits and they end in 1996. So that's too bad. But he only has a line or two. But basically the discovery is that, oh yeah, this was planned. That Heather was like, oh yeah, I promised to do a spread for Us Magazine uh, for my first day at college. So he's gonna photograph us on our date. And he's like, wait a minute, what photograph? What? And she's like, sweetie, if you're a celebrity and you want to keep up with it, you've got to do stuff like this. Otherwise, you end up riding an elephant on Circus with the Stars. <laughs> a great 1980s reference. Good uh -huh. God. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, and she says, well, I figured you would love to have your picture in a national magazine. If not, she says, I'll just borrow you for the night. And uh, Cliff, very 
well, I think he handles the situation well, that he's not happy about it, but to make lemonade out of these lemons. And the <laughs> flair is there, and he knows clearly something needs to be said with the two of them. He says, tell you what, why don't you do a photo spread uh, to do with her living here? Why don't you have a picture of her in her sorority house bedroom or in her closet? And Bootsy jumps in and with her new best friend. And all smiles, just, ugh. And I think we skipped that there's a moment when Mrs. Garrett takes the picture back in the store with Heather, just as they say, say cheese, Bootsy jumps in and photo bombs. <laughs> so Jamie Gertz is just crushing it, playing this suck up barnacle tag along, like we have a famous person and I want to be included. And uh, this is it. So, um, uh, Bootsy declaring that she is Heather's new best friend. And so she says, you know, come with me, it's this way. So she and the cameraman go off and Heather's final moment is she just is standing there and just throws up her arms like Auntie Mame and says, bye, and walks <laughs> off grandly. <laughs> it's like so two-dimensional, but I mean, she it was, was right. fun. Nope, it was great. Uh, so we are left with Cliff and Blair. So Cliff says to Blair, well, you wanted us to mix and mingle, so I'm mixing. And she's like, well, I didn't mean with other women. I, I mean, <laughs> when I said we weren't going together, I didn't mean, well, well you, you know what I didn't mean. And like you say, this is flipping it on, on, its, on the other way. It's the, I said I wanted us to see other people. I didn't mean you. I meant me. <laughs> that's really what she's saying. There is some dialogue that's been cut here, but it lands on him saying, you never wanted any kind of commitment. And this is where we get the, the ethos and pathos of Blair. Am I using those words right? Sure. Probably not. Uh, no, you are. <laughs> so do you want to tell what this is, what, what this oh, moment? explanation is that love to her was somebody promising to love you, promising to protect you and always be with you. And then the next morning, their suitcases in the hall because it was all of her dad's leaving her mom over the years. Mm -hmm. That is where she feels the root of this is. The child of three divorces is going to feel a little careful about making any promises to anybody or hearing yeah. promises. Yeah, that's absolutely, uh, that is great character integrity. The fact that she is commitment phobic and conveniently because she is so attractive, she's never had to deal with a commitment because there has always been this roster of boys wanting to date her. And thankfully in a time when dating was dating without sex. And uh, it's really good that she brings this up now. This is the point where it kind of boils over where she says that's what really is going on here. She makes herself vulnerable to him. And I love that. And so his response is, hey, I know you've been through that. My parents have been together for 32 years. But they're from Iowa. <laughs> As always horrified by Midwestern people. Sue Ann, Kansas was something she could never let go of. It's horrifying to her. And now this yes. guy's... <laughs> Very true. Um, so... Uh, he says, and this is great, now we're back to non-toxic Cliff. And the thing you said, 
that there's a great another thing in the non-toxic column. The fact that if we go to parties and you're holding court, a group of guys are around you, that doesn't intimidate me as long as I know that I am your number one in your life. That's a beautifully confident thing. But he says to her, oh, Blair, they don't sell relationship insurance and there's no guarantee for the future. But commitment means I love you enough to take the risk. And she says, if we were to decide to do this, what would that mean? And he says, it means that I love you. He says, it just means that I love you. And she comes back with an I love you too. And the expected audience, oh. And then they kiss. And just as you think they're that, oh, freeze frame roll credits, huh? Yeah. What? We get another Facts of Life abrupt ending where you're like, I, okay, I guess there wasn't that much more to be said, but. And I think I have a way to bring Bootsy back in for one last line, maybe taking credit for their reunion or something like that. Just one little, she pops up again. But oh. That's coming well over here. I don't know if everybody wants that much Bootsy in their life. <laughs> It's, it's very nice and very sweet. And I like that they're continuing to explore and uh, enhance this, this relationship and it being kind of Blair's first big multi-episode relationship because she really hasn't before this, has she? I don't think so. I think this is her first. Um, the uh, scene itself I thought was beautifully written. You are correct that there are two earlier scenes where they could have done some clarifying that would have made the payoff even bigger, I think. They just weren't always clear <laughs> where are these two. So we're not yeah. out necessarily. But um, I thought the conclusion was beautifully done. I really liked the delivery. I, yeah. I'm not ending, but I liked what he had to say and I found it believable and helpful. So a nice little episode as season five starts to wind down. James, <laughs> darling. I'm so glad to have you back for a fourth time, and I hope to have you back uh, for a 40th time, if there were enough episodes for that to be possible. <laughs> and when we're done this series, I might make you be a guest on my square pegs. We'll see if I can... Uh, it only has 19 episodes, so it's a little more uh, easy <laughs> for a summer or something, but uh, keep it in mind. And remind people, <laughs> can they still find you on the radio these days? So right now... Uh, uh, my radio station is at Rollins College, and the deal right now is current students are allowed to do radio shows during the weekday only. Mm -hmm. Community like myself, uh, we can do them remotely. What I've been doing is posting uh, my Spotify playlist every Saturday night at 7 for my showtime, and I post that on uh, the Jimmy Popular Show on Facebook. It's a, a group that you can join. Um, we'll be back on the air full-time soon, I think, but right now it just comes down to some COVID policies they have to figure out for, for um, off-campus people coming in. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'll post a link to that in the show notes and on the webpage so people can find the Jimmy Thank Popular you. show because you are quite <laughs> the music guy. You've got quite... Uh, how big a record collection do you have? It's big. <laughs> it takes up the living room. <laughs> <laughs> An entire room's worth of records. Yikes. It's unlucky to count things like that, so I don't, but there are... A lot of records are there. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again so much, darling, for doing the show. I so appreciate it. And I can't wait to be able to see you in person. And until then, smooches and goodbye. Thanks, David. And there you have it. That was James Brendlinger, back again for more. I'll post links to his Penguin Point Productions website, as well as to his Jimmy Popular Show uh, Facebook page, where you can find his weekly playlist while we're in this in-between phase where he's not actually able to be on the radio. So, moving on to next week. It is going to be my 100th episode. I cannot believe it. And I wanted to make it uh, really special. I wanted to do something different and interesting. So, first of all, I'm having Matthew Arter back. That is a given. I cannot do anything special with this show without him being a part of it. But we decided we wanted to include some more people. So, I reached out to my Tutti Fruities. Those are the people who support the show on Patreon and pledge money every single month. I thought it would be fun, since they are the super, super fans of the show, I'd give them a chance to be on the show. So I've asked them to send in some feedback and some commentary about the show, and I'm going to be featuring it on the episode. So listen for that next week. It is going to be super awesome fun. I cannot wait. We're going to be watching Season 5, Episode 20, Dream Marriage. And you can watch that episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle FaceTheFactsPod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash FaceTheFactsPod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>